Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that brings you deep dive interviews with the motorcycle industry insiders and racers that make the sport move. I'm host Dale Spangler, and this episode's guest is Moto America Supersport Racer for the 3D Motorsports team, Damian Jigalo. This episode is brought to you by Moto America, home of AMA Superbike Racing and North America's premier motorcycle road racing series. Watch every round of the 2023 series with Moto America Live Plus video on demand streaming service. Or visit the Moto America YouTube channel for race highlights and original video content. For the complete 2023 Moto America schedule, head to MotoAmerica.com. Or follow Moto America on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for real-time series updates. Let's get started. I'd like to welcome to Pit Pass Moto, Damian Jagalov. Damian, how are you today? What are you up to today on the first day of spring? Doesn't feel like it here, though. <laughs> I know, right? Same here. I'm over in Chicago, so it's a little chilly, but uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, today is my uh, off and rest day, so running some errands and things like that. So I saw where you just competed in the, I believe it was your first Daytona 200. How'd that go for you, and what'd you think of the high banks? So that's right. Yeah, it was my uh, first time riding at Daytona. I've been there a bunch of times, but first time on the actual high banking. Um, overall, it was a great experience. You know, it's so unique compared to any other track anywhere around the world. So to be able to just experience the track itself was amazing. It was it was unique in itself. Um, unfortunately, the race didn't necessarily go the best. We had some mechanical issues early on. And I wasn't able to finish, but nonetheless, it was still a it was still a great experience. So you didn't have any like uh, we'll call it the Anthony Mazziato moments where you kind of bounced off the bank. I couldn't believe that when I saw that like last year. I was like, wow, that just got to be <laughs> sketchy. No, not quite. Thankfully, no. But but I could see how how things like that can happen, especially when you're going that fast and the G forces are are sucking you down into the ground. And you know when you're racing that tight, it's it's simple for little things like that to happen. Though the wall definitely comes up on you quick. Definitely. Well, it looks like you're, you are you got to be pretty excited coming into 2023. It looks like you have a new ride with 3D Motorsports, and you're going to be taking on a Super Sport Class in Moto America on a Suzuki GSX-R750. So are you excited about this challenge, and how did this all come about uh, with 3D Motorsports? A hundred percent. I am so looking forward to it. I mean, we did some testing. Daytona obviously didn't necessarily go the best when it came to the mechanical stuff, but I'm full of confidence going into the first round of the year. For me, it's been a unique last couple of years when it comes to racing. In my past, you know, I did some racing in Europe. And once I came back, you know, just based on the way racing was going, when it came to sponsorships and stuff like that, I was, I was racing in Wira for the last couple of years, but not necessarily a full Moto America ride. So to finally be back in the Moto America paddock, it just put a smile on my face the first Thursday morning I got to the track. And just being with all the fast guys and being with, you know, the best riders in the country, it's definitely a welcoming experience. Yeah, so let's talk about, you have a very unique career. I mean, you're what, 19 now? Mm -hmm. And I feel like you've lived so much of a life already, uh, <laughs> having gone to Europe in a way, like you, you sort of started, you know, very differently than a lot of other Americans when it comes to road racing. Like you're 12 years old, you're in Italy, if I'm not mistaken, racing yep. in a series at 12 years old in Europe by yourself. So, I mean, how did this all come about? Not many people can say at 12 years old they're in Europe by themselves racing a motorcycle. No, 100%. And so for me, the way that kind of even came about was so. 
my dad never necessarily raced motorcycles. He did some track days. He was he was always into motorcycles. So ever since I had memory, I also took a natural interest in them. So, you know, I started riding. I started racing at a young age, right around eight years old, just competing in local championships. And then I started racing in Wira. And actually, when I was 11 years old, I was racing here in the U.S., uh, KTM RC390, which at the time... Moto America had the RC Cup, the KTM Cup, and I was too young to race against it. But um, a lot of the Moto America guys would come over and race Weir on their off weekends, and I would actually beat them. And some of these guys were some of the guys who were battling for the championship. So for me, it filled me up with confidence. But unfortunately, again, I kind of hit a wall just because of my age. And um, at the time, I was actually sponsored by Dionysi, the leather suits. And they uh, had a connection over in the Italian Moto3 championship with a team called RMU Moto. And they were actually a part of the VR46 Academy and everything like that. Very cool. So they contacted them and was just curious to see if they would like to do a wild card race with me. And they kind of gave the okay. And they asked myself and obviously my parents and I, it was a no brainer, you know, it was, uh, it would have been such a cool experience, even going into it, not necessarily with the expectations to get the best results, you know, just to be able to say that I've ridden in Magello on a Moto3 bike, you know, it'd be amazing in itself. And it was supposed to just be a one-off wildcard race weekend. So my family and I, sure enough, we flew out there. And what was funny was the minimum age was actually 13 years old. And the, and the series made an exception for me to race at 12 years old. And that first weekend was actually the weekend of my 12th birthday. <laughs> That's incredible. I mean, I, I started racing at age 12 and here you are, like I said, in Europe at 12. So I, I just can't even imagine that, you know? <laughs> No, and you know, going over there, my first experience there, I mean, these these kids were fast. I mean, they're the fast some of the fastest in the world. And it was it was such a crazy experience. Initially, just you know, you see these level of these guys and for me, I always thought, you know, I started really young and you see these guys and they're ridiculously fast and they started even earlier than I did. But I mean, Going into it, you know, the team kind of said, you know, we don't expect you to get any good results, blah, blah, blah. We thought it'd be a good experience. And, you know, even though that was kind of my intention going into it, you know, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way, but it ended up being positive because it kind of motivated me to do well. Sure enough, the first race that I did there in race one, I ended up getting fifth out of some of the best 30 kids in the world. And so for me, it definitely filled me with confidence and the team was more than happy. And um, so they ended up signing me for the rest of that year and the following two years after that. Yeah. So you were pretty busy during that period. I mean, you're kind of like in some ways, you know, we'll use the, the term kind of fast tracking, like you were on that path in some ways to, you know, eventual MotoGP, like a Moto3, Moto2, and hopefully MotoGP. Was that kind of your idea going into this that, you, you know, potentially you, you end up landing a, a full-time European ride? No, 100%. So, you know, I feel like every young rider who gets into it always has the dreams of making it to MotoGP and everyone kind of strives for that. And, you know, at that point, you know, I really was. That was my sole purpose. You know, I did online school when I was racing in Europe. So my focus was 110% on racing. Um, I did fairly well when I was racing over in Italy for those those two full seasons. And from there, I was hoping to move up into the World Moto3 Championship. And one thing that was kind of unique in that next step kind of transitioning from the European championship over into the world championship was, you know, back in the day, a lot of the riders were making pretty good money just to race, you know, and kind of in this transition of when I kind of came up with the racing, 
it was the opposite. You know, the riders were having to pay the teams to race for them. And um, in the European Moto3 championships, you know, it wasn't necessarily the craziest expense. It was enough to where I was able to get enough sponsorship to cover everything. But I mean, financially, the teams in Moto3 were asking ridiculous dollars, which were just, you know, unreasonable for me, at least. Yeah, I can imagine. So once I got done racing in Italy, which again, it really developed me as a rider, not only as a rider, but also mentally. You know, I had no choice but to grow up really quickly. Um, getting around in a country where I don't speak the language, you know, and a new experience, you know, overcoming some of those nerves or being feeling anxious. And um, so at the end, when I finished racing in Europe, I did the transition over and I uh, did my first full season of Moto America because I was finally old enough to do so. And so um, from there, I raced the full season in uh, Moto America in the Junior Cup. And um, in the Junior Cup, you know, I was competitive. I uh, ended up switching teams towards the end of the season. There's a whole bunch of stuff that went into that. But um, I definitely uh, felt competitive racing over in Moto America. At the end of that season, I was contacted by a team over in the Spanish Championship. And so at the end of that season, I ended up going over flying to Spain. I did a test with the team, and we got along great, and everything kind of went according to plan. And sure enough, I found myself back in Europe. So then, like during this same period, though, it kind of seems like, in a way, you're a bit of a, a victim of circumstances. Like you're saying, like team budgets, you know, like having to pay for a seat with some of these teams, which is, you know, it's kind of out of most people's budgets. They're not going to just pay a hundred grand to be to be on a team, you know. But also, COVID, you know, comes in at 2020. Was that a lot to do with how you end up back in the states, and then you you're kind of moved on to this couple of years of racing Wira? So to race in the Moto3 World Championship, the teams were asking for about a quarter of a million dollars. Oh, geez. <laughs> wow. Which was 100% out of the realm of possibilities for me. Yeah. <laughs> so when I first came back to the U.S., it was just before COVID, when I first did the first season in Junior Cup. It was when I ended up going to Spain. That, that was the year of COVID. That was in 2020. So COVID is probably 110% the reason why at the end of the season racing in Spain, I did end up back in the U.S. You know, I look fortunate enough, I already had already signed some deals prior to COVID happening. So when it came to sponsorship and racing in, in, in Spain that season, it was already kind of signed, sealed and delivered. So it wasn't necessarily a concern for that season. But at the end of it, 100%, you know, at that point, a majority of the companies that, that were helping me were struggling themselves. So they weren't able to, you know, throw, throw dollars my direction. So that 100% is what set me back here to the U.S., Coming back after that, like, what were your thoughts there? Were you like, I want to try and make a career, you know, like kind of transition into focusing on Moto America or was it like, hey, I'm done with racing. Is it time to look for a job? I mean, what was your mindset at that point when you came back and all of this is happening? Like we're saying, you know, the budgets are crazy to, to ride for these teens. You got COVID happening. Mm -hmm. It probably just was a tough time for you to kind of figure out where you where you wanted to be. 110% it was, you know, and for me living in Spain, I actually had lived there the full year. When I was racing in Italy, I was kind of going back and forth. You know, my parents would take time with vacation, going back and forth with me. Sometimes I would stay there for a month at a time, but it was never permanent. When I was living in Spain, I was actually, it was my first time living on my own. Um, I was 16. And because of COVID, my parents couldn't come and visit me. Family or friends couldn't. I had my own apartment. I was living alone. So for me, it was, it was definitely another transition to me kind of having to grow up mentally, teaching myself how to cook, teaching myself how to clean. So to your point, at the end of the season, once everything kind of came to a halt, I had to start thinking realistically. Um, my expectation was to kind of come back and jump right into Moto America Supersport, kind of like I am this year. 
And um, to my surprise, the teams were asking outrageous dollars all of a sudden now back in Moto America. Some of these teams were asking like $160,000, which again, that's just not possible for me. So at that point, it was like, okay, well, I mean, this is starting to become unrealistic. And at this point, you know, I have to figure something else out, you know, because obviously racing isn't going to pay the bills. I'm kind of, I'm in the transition of eventually becoming a young adult here and I need to kind of get my stuff together. You know, I've always been very determined to be successful regardless of what it is that I do. So I was like, okay, now I'm going to have to get a job and I'm going to have to start planning what I, what I'm going to do here. So that's exactly what I did. Um, I wasn't planning on racing in the 2021 season. I ended up getting, uh, just a normal job, not doing anything spectacular. Again, I was still young, so I couldn't really do much and, uh, started saving my money. And luckily enough, um, a local dealership that we had been friends with from the past, they ended up sponsoring me and, um, they ended up giving me a, uh, CBR 1000 to race in the motor in the Wira Superbike championship. So even though it was amazing and it was good to still be on a motorcycle, this way I don't kind of lose the experience I have or anything like that. Um, it still wasn't necessarily the same. It wasn't you know, my main priority just because I had other stuff going on outside of it, if that makes sense. No, that makes sense. So like, it kind of seems like in a way, and I'm kind of curious to know what your thoughts are on this, but like spending two years in Weir, like it might've been like a little bit lower pressure environment, you know, like maybe give you a little bit of a, a mental reset. I mean, you're young enough to where coming back into this season, you still have a lot of, you know, potential career ahead of you to where you got to be coming in feeling pretty strong mentally, I would assume. No, 100%. And I mean, in those two years, there wasn't much pressure involved. You know, it was one of those things where in the back of my mind, I had already kind of made plans and goals outside of racing of what I needed to do and how I needed to accomplish them. So for me, racing was just one of those things like, uh, hey, if I get found and picked up by a team, if everything makes sense, great. If not, you know, this is something I love. You know, at that point in time, I wasn't doing it for any other reason besides the fact that I really enjoyed doing it. And I love I love the sport. And for me, because my big plans were I wanted to be in a position where as soon as I turn 18 years old, I have a good income, I can get my own place, and I can start to continue from there. And, you know, that's kind of exactly what I did. I ended up moving out, I think it was like 20 days after my 18th birthday. Wow. <laughs> There's going to be parents out there like, who are you? Who is this kid? <laughs> <laughs> Self-sufficient at 18? Come on now. <laughs> Yeah, I ended up getting my first condo. Um, what I ended up doing was at 16, I put myself as a secondary user on one of my parents' credit cards so that I could start building my credit. As soon as I turned 18, I got my own credit card, ended up getting a second one, and then I ended up getting a personal loan just so this way I could have an installment loan on my credit history. And then um, that's how I was able to get my condo. And then um, I ended up becoming a salesman at a dealership. So I had a, a decent income and um, I could start saving on top of my bills. And, uh, and yeah, well, it's, it seems like you, you could probably partially attribute that to, you know, your parents, you know, giving you that freedom. But I also feel like this traveling to Europe had to have just matured you so much faster. Like you said, you're 12 years old, you're by yourself traveling. And I feel like racing in general does that to a lot of racers. You know, you, you end up having to grow up faster. Like I think of, you know, another talented young racer coming up, Kayla Yakov. I mean, she is just like, it's so impressive. She's so well-spoken. And I feel like that's what comes from traveling, becoming a world traveler, experiencing other cultures. Would you say that's kind of been the case for you? 
A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I think, I feel like the racing aspect of it definitely taught me more of the work ethic side of things. And I think the traveling and being in those uncomfortable situations kind of made me grow mentally and kind of put me in the position where I had to think and act like an adult. Well, you seem like a real deep thinker to me when I, when I listen to you talk and uh, would you say that's the case? Are you kind of like a student of the sport or I, I think I even heard in one interview you did, um, you know, you say like you're your own worst enemy sometimes because you, you know, you maybe think a little too much about things. Sometimes in racing, that could be one of those things there. It's a good or a bad thing. You know, like personally, I could never crash and get back up and not be a little bit nervous about it. Whereas some people have that ability to be able to just kind of not worry about fear and just go for it. I'm curious to know what your outlook is on that. Yeah, it's true. And not only in racing and just about anything, you know, I, I do tend to overthink. I den- I do tend to, uh, try and plan for the future. And I put a lot of pressure on myself, which at times it's not necessarily a bad thing because I tend to do better when I am under pressure, even if it is myself putting it or if it's someone else. Um, I always tend to do better under pressure, but it's true. Like there's nights, like I usually the night before the race, I, I can't sleep. And even outside of racing, you know, if there's something big when it comes to money or work or something like that, and my, my brain always kind of keeps spinning. <laughs> so it's, it's definitely true. We'll get back to the conversation in one moment. But first, here's a word from our sponsor. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and this is Pit Pass F1, a brand new podcast that'll take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. They'll keep you up to date with the latest news breaking in Formula One and the most influential views shaping the world of Grand Prix racing. Every Friday, we'll be bringing you a track guide and race preview, and Chris and Drew will be in your feed every morning from Saturday through to Monday to keep you up to date on all the day's action on and off the track. So if you want to be in the know on the latest in Formula One, subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts and visit us at evergreenpodcasts.com. Pit Pass F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts. Well, I can also tell that it seems like family is a huge part of your life and your your racing career. I mean, it seems like you have such a great relationship with your dad. And I think I even heard during another interview that, you know, they never put any pressure on you to perform or succeed. And even though you're traveling to Europe at that such a young age. So talk a little bit more about that, like how, you know, that family atmosphere has kind of helped you with your racing career. No, it's true. hundred percent. I mean, Anything when it comes to, you know, where I'm at now, when it comes to anything mentally, when it comes to the things I have, I've achieved when it comes to racing, I owe to my parents, you know. One thing that I always really appreciate now, you know, obviously I'm a little bit older now, um, I really appreciate the fact that, you know, my parents never bought me things that they didn't have, but they taught me things they were never taught. And a lot of that stuff really comes down to to my dad. You know, he taught me stuff when it does come to work ethic, when it does come to things outside of racing that kind of molded my mentality towards racing. My dad didn't come from a racing background, like I said. Mm-hmm. So when it came to the actual riding part of it, there wasn't much he could he could teach me just because he didn't have the experience himself. But everything else around it is really what kind of shaped me and molded me. My dad always gave me my independence and actually pushed it on me. Um, 
whether it was something as silly as being a little kid and having to knock on the neighbor's door to see if, if the kids could come out and play or if it was, you know, going through the airport at a young age and making me kind of find where the gate is, fill out all our information, check in, things like that. Um, he really, really pushed me to kind of have the ability to do my own thing and not necessarily rely on anyone for anything. And on top of that, you know, my dad and I, we're, we're best friends. You know, I, I, I got to say, you know, we've traveled the world together. Um, we spent so much time together. It's it's funny. People tell us we have the same mannerisms. We even look similar. So him and I are definitely uh, very, very close. I mean, it sounds like you've had some special moments. Like you said, traveling. You know, those are those memories that you're always going to remember throughout your whole life. And that's why I think it's just even more impressive because you're, you know, you're not even 20 years old and you've experienced so much already. I'm curious to know, though, what um, a few of your, your maybe favorite race events or memories that you've attended to date, U.S. or European? I think that the biggest ones that come to mind, um, I remember my first race win was on a little bike, again, in a little local championship, which actually happened to be on Father's Day, which was kind of funny. I remember, I think the big one was the first race in Italy, that race at Magello where I got fifth. That was a big one because that's kind of what kick-started my uh, racing in Europe. Um, and then I got to say my first Moto America podium, which happened to be on my dad's birthday, which was kind of funny. It was at, uh, Mugello, your first podium? In uh, Italy, yep. It was in Mugello. Wow. I mean, what an incredible place. I spent, uh, almost two years in Italy myself with Alpine Stars. And so I was able to go to Jerez and go to Mugello. I mean, these circuits are just, I mean, it's incredible. The amount of history and then just the fans. I mean, it's just such a different experience, isn't it? It really is. I mean, it's a different mentality out there. You know, you see here people are interested in basketball or football or things like that. While over in Europe, you know, motorsports are among those top sports. You know, obviously soccer is the biggest sport out there, but following that is, you know, motorcycle racing, car racing, just motorsports in general. So over there, there's such a passion for it on track and off track. It's incredible. Yeah, a guy like Valentino Rossi, I mean, he's like a Formula One star where he can't even walk down the street mm -hmm. in places in Europe, you know? So that's, like you said, it's it's more like football and baseball and, these, and you know, they're sticking ball sports here in the United States, the popularity of motorcycle racing in Europe, that's for sure. It's funny, you know, you see some a lot of the riders, they enjoy coming to the U.S. because they don't get stopped in the streets like they do in Europe. <laughs> they could be anonymous, yep. <laughs> <laughs> so if you weren't racing motorcycles, what would you be doing? So what I do as of now outside of racing is I'm a salesman at a dealership. You know, I'm trying to save as much as I can. I want to invest in real estate. I want to buy rental properties. So that's what kind of my focus is outside of racing, regardless if I do make it and if I don't make it. Um, I never necessarily wanted to rely on racing for income. So as of now, everything with Moto America and, and all my focus is just on doing well and enjoying it. Because, you know, if I don't do well, then that's kind of it. And if I don't enjoy it, then there's no point. When it comes to the racing part, that's where my focus is. But outside of racing, it's definitely, you know, investing in rental properties, hopefully over the years, acquiring more and more, and um, hopefully putting myself in a position where I don't have to work one day. Well, maybe here soon, it'll be a, a battle between you and Jeff May. I think he has the self-proclaimed title of fastest real estate agent uh, <laughs> or something like that. So maybe you guys will be battling uh, that title here in the future. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Well, coming up to this season, though, I would imagine all of your efforts are focused on the opening round of uh, Supersport here coming up at Road Atlanta in April. Are you feeling excited to get out there and just kind of get your elbows out and have some fun? 
A hundred percent. You know, even after Daytona, you know, unfortunately the race didn't go our way, but that just added fuel to the fire. You know, physically I'm ready, mentally I'm ready. And I'm really excited to kind of, you know, show my worth. You know, I've been out for a couple of seasons and it's, it's time to show that I belong here. So you think this is going to be realistically, you think this is going to be a more of a learning year in Moto, Moto America, or do you, do you pretty much know all the tracks already? Um, I don't feel like it's going to be a learning year. I feel like for me, because I kind of had the last two years, it was kind of a setback. So now I'm kind of playing catch up. Um, this year, I don't necessarily plan on treating it as a learning year. You know, I want to fight in the top five. I want to battle for podiums. I want to be at the front. Um, I want to be one of those riders. And that's kind of my goal for 2023. Moving forward, you know, my dream in motorcycle racing is to make a living racing motorcycles. I mean, I feel like Saying that I want to be a MotoGP champion and things like that, you know, obviously that's always the goal. But realistically, my, my, my goal is to make a living racing motorcycles. Yeah, I think that's pretty realistic. You know, I mean, this the way that the Moto America series just keeps progressing and getting better. And, you know, the television packages is pretty amazing. So they seem to be drawing in a lot of great sponsors lately. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be in a pretty exciting 2023 season. That's for sure. No, 100%. There's so many fast riders here now. I mean, even if you look at the Daytona 200, you look at the line, I mean, you have all these guys with all this experience and all these achievements, you know, you're you're racing against really, really legit fast guys. Definitely. Well, we're looking forward to seeing how things go for you this year, Damien. In the meantime, though, anybody out there you'd like to give a shout out to, now would be the time as we wrap up this episode. No, I'd definitely like to say a big thank you to 3D Motorsports, you know, team I'm racing for this year. They uh, they found me, you know, at a time where I had no idea what I was going to be doing this year in 2023. And thanks to them, I'm back and competing at the top level in the country. So I owe a majority of everything to them. Obviously, I want to say a big thank you to my parents for putting me in the position I'm at today. Um, and I would like to thank, say a thank you to Forest R Leather Suits and um, LS2 Helmets. Well, looking forward to seeing how everything goes here in a few weeks in Road Atlanta. And uh, once again, Damien, really appreciate your time today and all the best on the great season. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to follow Pit Pass Moto on your favorite podcast listening app so you never miss an episode. And if you have a moment, please rate and review our show. We'd appreciate it. You can also follow us on social media or visit pitpassmoto.com where you can listen to past episodes and purchase your very own Pit Pass Moto swag. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcasts. A special thank you to Tommy Boy Halverson and the production team at Wessler Media. I'm Dale Spangler. I hope you'll join us next week for another episode of Pit Pass Moto. Thanks for listening. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.